Well, welcome once again to Voice of Reason Radio, your hosts, Chris Honholtz and Richard Story, joining you on July 2nd, 2021. We are officially halfway through this year, and the chaos just will not end. Uh, Our President of the United States is still losing his mind bit by bit. The financial uh, situation in this nation continues to go skyrocketing as the government cannot wait to just spend more money that they don't have. Uh, we have we have elections within the uh, Southern Baptist Convention, Convention that have, well, there's a whole other story. We talked about that last week. And now the scandal that will not end and which will be part of the topic tonight. It, it's almost a part two, but not quite uh, the issue of plagiarism in the pulpit. My goodness, uh, that's going to be an interesting discussion tonight. But thank you for joining us. Thank you for being a part of the Voice of Reason Radio family. You guys are so awesome. Uh, Rich, I, I think I told you this in pre-show, but we are literally 124 downloads away some of you start downloading uh, 124 downloads away from hitting 40,000 downloads since this program began over five years ago um, that is just it's humbling it just uh, drops us to our knees to think that the knuckle-headed conversations that you and I have had over the course of five years is is literally uh, 40,000 strong that, 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 that many times that you guys have tuned in and listened. So thank you. You, you humble us in ways that we cannot even begin to imagine. So thank you for being a part of this family. Thank you for being a part of this journey. And, uh, we pray that the Lord continues to allow us to do this. I just always want to remind you, we are part of the Christian podcast community. You can, uh, just, you know, go to strivingforeternity.org and look for Christian podcast community or type it into your search engine of choice. Uh, I don't want to say Google because I know all of y'all are, are freaked out by Google, rightfully so. Uh, maybe duck, duck, go it, go it, whatever they call that now. <laughs> but uh, you can put it in your search engine of choice. Look for the Christian podcast community. You will always find uh, uh, something really worth listening to uh, with all the various programs that are on there. In fact, uh, I, I, I've been listening to a lot of them and I've just I've never ceased to amaze by the quality that comes out from so many of those programs. Although um, you know we we seem to be in competition with the guys over at Bar. Dwayne At- uh, Atkinson just seems to just keeps snatching up more and more podcasts. So while I hate to mention uh, a, a competitor, no, I don't. I actually don't care. Um, it just if if you've not heard, uh, Owen Strand has uh, relaunched his podcast, which was, uh, the, I think it was The uh, the City, was what it was uh, called previously. Now it is The Antithesis, and it will be talking a lot about the uh, the woke movement, critical race theory and such. So if you're looking for more information on that, that is a good program. Just started tuning into it, and uh, I really encourage it. But another good podcast I would definitely recommend you turn it tune into is uh, our good friend Kofi Abu Bowen's um, program, Deep Dive Discipleship. He's been on his third episode, and I just continue to be very impressed on Kofi's program on discipleship. I really, Kofi, we got to get you on here about that. I, I really want to see more people listening to it. That's just such a fantastic program. But getting back to what I was saying, Christian Podcast Community, you will always find a good program on there. want to remind you, you can check out our website, slavetothekeng.com. That is where you will find everything that is Voice of Reason Radio related. You will find our blog. You will find uh, all of our podcast episodes. You will find our links 
to the various uh, social media platforms, which social media is growing more and more and more. There's too many. I can't keep up. And now uh, Donald Trump's team has put out Getter, G-E-T-T-R, which is their Twitter alternative. I think there's about 13 of you that I'm following <laughs> right now on there. So I, I we're going to try and keep up with social media because eventually Facebook and Twitter are, will kick us off because, you know, the leftists uh, love to tell you how to think. They don't want to li actually listen to you. So that we're just building our social media base there. But you can always find our social media platforms there. You can find the RSS feeds because eventually we'll probably get kicked off of Apple Podcasts and other places. So if you are a non-Apple user or you have a podcast app of choice you can find our rss feed link on there you can also contact us of course you could always email us directly at voice of reason radio at gmail.com but you can contact us at the website slave to the king.com and also you can find our patreon link there you can find the link to the doctrine and life web store which has our t-shirts and if you were somebody who likes podcasts and you listen to mm, i don't know dividing line you may have noticed that dr white was wearing one of our shirts recently it was so gracious of him to wear that on his program uh we sent that to him as a thank you for being on with us for our 200th episode and was just through just tickled pink when i saw that uh he was wearing that in his mobile command center uh episode <laughs> that he just had this week so thank you dr white for wearing that that was just so cool to see so um, that's really kind of all the, the stuff I always forget to say and I'm trying to be better about. <laughs> Did I miss any of it, Rich? <laughs> I don't think so, brother. I think you hit on most everything. And I did it in the shortest span I think I've ever done it in, which is usually about... I think we're usually gabbing for about 10 minutes before I remember I'm supposed to bring it up. So I got it within the first few minutes. So I think I, I finally am starting to get this down. <laughs> so, brother, how has your week been? Oh, sorry, good. Well... You didn't ask me correctly. Uh-oh. What did I... Well, how do I not ask that right? <laughs> you always ask me, how am I doing? Oh, how are you doing this week? I'm so sorry. <laughs> Better than I deserve. Amen. And listening to your intro, I've been sitting here trying to think of a way to make an analogy between a convection oven and a Southern Baptist convention because... You almost said convection instead of convention, <laughs> and my my little my little the little mice and the wheels in my head was spinning, and I cannot come up with anything to relate convection to conviction. But um, you did outstanding as always with the introduction. <laughs> well, how about this? You know, a convection oven really turns up the heat on anything you're cooking, and the current president of the Southern Baptist Convention is really feeling the heat. How's that? <laughs> That's pretty good, except for in his case, he's got so many deflectors in front of him, it's redirecting the heat back out into space. <laughs> this is sad but true. Sad but true. Uh, brother, you know, I'm going to have to share this with everybody. Um, we, we are, this oh, is, real quick. Go ahead, go ahead, brother. Go ahead. Real, this, sorry, this is out of nowhere. I just I, <laughs> all of a sudden decided I wanted to not only throw you under the bus, oh, roll no. you up, throw you under it, put you in a pothole, and run a <laughs> tank over you. What I do now? I those, deserve this. <laughs> those, those podcasts you were mentioning and the two um, podcast community type networks. Do you have a favorite podcast that you listen to? Oh, I listen to so many different ones. Um, goodness, I don't know that I can pick out one that's particularly a favorite because they're all they all have different things that I listen to. Um, I, I love, for example, politician. 
Politicians? No. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Good. Where are you going with this? <laughs> well, you you just kind of riding that line. You you're, you're trying to be politically <laughs> nice and. No, I honest to goodness, if it's it, it's <laughs> it's I don't know that I can pick one in particular because every one of them is is got their own thing that they do such a great job with. Uh, I mean, I, I love listening to Nathaniel Jolly and, and, and Eki Tepsa Pornchai on theirs because they are really doing such a great job uh, when they talk about, for example, they're going through like things like the attributes of God. They're going through, uh, you know, the 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 uh, fruits of the spirit. I mean, they take a real pastoral approach. I love theirs. I love Kofi's uh, deep dive discipleship because I've never heard anybody do a discipleship program. I'm really chomping at the bit for Chris Huff to get back in front of his microphone and start doing up a matter of theology again. Um, unfortunately, it, it, you know, the uh, the guys over at Just Thinking have, just have become so popular, everybody wants them to do stuff that they almost never record a show anymore. Uh, <laughs> they're probably the only person who uh, you know has gotten, uh, is almost living rent-free on our show is Dr. White, and that's because, well, he keeps messing with me. Um, so it's... <laughs> It's kind of hard to say which one's a favorite because I like all of them. <laughs> well, honestly, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts because, for one thing, I don't have the time. Another thing, it kind of interferes with my studies and what good brain time oh, I have. That's meaning that what I'm supposed to use that time for. <laughs> I'm, uh, I have a lot of brain fog issues at times, so you know, I have what <laughs> time I have that I'm very coherent. I try to focus it. In a, in a good direction. And honestly, I don't want to listen to a podcast, hear something, forget who I heard it from, and then be accused of plagiarism. <laughs> there you go. Awesome. Dude, that was just a flat-out <laughs> sweet transition. Nice, nice, nice. There, there was a reason I threw you under that <laughs> tank. Well, you know, it seems like everybody likes to do that to me lately. You know, just as a matter, I said this on the social media the other day, so I'll just put it out there for you guys. I like a joke as much as any of y'all. Y'all got to remember, when all of you come at me, it's kind of like a fire hose, okay? I like to be taken seriously once in a while, too. And if half of you spend as much time, uh, you know, like maybe sharing a podcast link once in a while as you do sharing, I don't know, elf memes, uh, accusing me of winning every contest in the book and everything else, boy, we wouldn't have just 40,000 downloads. We'd be a lot more out there. <laughs> so you're not and, the and only one that likes to hit me with that tank once in a while, brother. <laughs> well, you know, you know, there's a certain gentleman that will hear this and those words that just came out of your mouth and what they will hear is, okay, this needs to be a coordinated attack. Yeah. I'll get everyone together and they just take turns going after this. That, and that's the, that's the unfortunate thing. It's like, I, I don't, I'm, I, I like a good joke. I really do. It's just, y'all need to stop. <laughs> Let a poor guy breathe. Let him think once in a while that you actually listen to something i say if you're damaging my mind man so uh okay but yeah no you ain't the only one that likes to park a tank on my chest man um but that was a beautiful um, transition on, on all, <laughs> all kidding aside chris is mine i'm the only one besides his wife that are that is allowed to go after him <laughs> he's my podcast partner I'm the only one with permission, but not his, just my permission. So. 
spell. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. All right. All right. We have, okay. We got. We get actually to have a real show tonight. Yeah, we do, and it's actually a very serious one of pulpits and plagiarism. I think that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, all right. So here's where we want to kind of pick up where we left off last week. This is not necessarily a part two, but because it is so much within the evangelical news scope right now. In fact, it's, <laughs> hey, SBC, when you say the world is watching, um, Ed Linton's plagiarism making news Newsweek, was that what you, you meant? No? Okay. Um, <laughs> but when Ed Linton got basically flat out exposed, lifting J.D. Greer's sermon, and, and everybody wants to that's defending him wants to say, well, he had permission. Fine, he had permission. He never once said that it it wasn't his. Um, that's the definition of plagiarism. You, you you represent somebody else's work as your own, and you don't tell people where you got it. So that's text. Oxford def, dic, uh, excuse me, Oxford Dictionary definition: the practice of taking someone else's work or ideas and passing them off as one's own. Um, notice nowhere in there does it say with with or without permission. It's you're using somebody else's work and saying it's your own. That's plagiarism. So that the reason that it's sort of dovetailing off of last week's conversation is because Ed Linton has become the lightning rod for this. Sadly, every time we turn around, something new is coming out. I mean, Ed Linton's sermons hit the net after his, uh, after his election, and everybody starts to realize, wow, he's copying J.D. Greer. He... He and J.D. Greer come out with a response, both both saying, yes, this was J.D. Greer's material. Yes, it was done with permission. And oops, we're sorry, there was no attribution. And promptly after that, 143, I think, sermons disappeared off of YouTube, either privatized, hidden, taken down, whatever. Um, the the I think it's the church told the Baptist press, well, we took them down because everybody was uh, you know, looking for stuff to, to accuse... Um, Ed Linton of. And then later, as I think they said about 80, somebody said about 80 of those messages ended up back on YouTube. The, the response was, oh, well, we took, there was, there was a change of servers and, and most of those below are on, on YouTube anyway. So they're back up. It's like, no, 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 no. You had 143 sermons on YouTube of which a little over half are now back. So you are somebody is not telling the truth. I think the first answer was probably the the one that was being truthful. They didn't want people looking into his sermons. Okay. Anyway, so you've got a lot of stuff going on around Pastor Ed Litton and also SBC President Ed Litton, and it has kind of opened up this can of worms on the discussion of plagiarism in the pulpit. And we want to talk about that tonight. But I want to I want to share something with you. Ed Linton was on um, on a podcast today, uh, and I think it's called SBC. Yeah, SBC this week, and Tom Buck shared a clip from I think it's from this particular interview, where Ed Linton is asked, "Why didn't you give attribution to JD Greer?" Oh, it, this is a fifty-three seconds. I just want to play this for you, and I want you to hear Ed Linton's response. The reason I want you to hear that is because it's going to play into what we're talking about tonight. We're not going to spend all our time on Ed, but again, Ed's become the lightning rod for this because of what he's done. And it's exposing the fact that more and more, I don't think quite as many people realized how often this is going on within churches across the uh, you know, across the nation. So we want to talk about that issue of plagiarism and one of the questions that's come up around 
well, can it really be plagiarism? But I want you to hear Ed Litton's response. And Rich, you and I both talked about this beforehand, but I, I want you to listen to this and then we're going to talk about what he said and then we're going to get into the main topic. So this is what he said when asked about not giving uh, attribution to J.D. Greer. I'm asked by good people and good-willed people, um, why didn't you just credit J.D.? But I want you to hear my heart. Uh, this is not an excuse or justification. Uh, I am sorry I did not. Um, I had a preaching professor in seminary that um, we would preach in front of, and he would evaluate us. And he was one of the kindest people I've ever met uh, for evaluating. But uh, a student got up, probably the smartest guy in the class, and every citation from ICC, Linsky, from any critical commentary, he, he made the, the and, and any commentary, he cited all of them, and even his illustrations. He said, I got this from that book and a thousand illustrations or whatever. When he got finished, the professor very kindly said, that was a good sermon. But he said, I'm going to just tell you something. When a diamond miner goes looking for diamonds, he doesn't hold up the pick and the shovel. He holds up the diamond. He holds up the diamond doesn't hold up the pick and the shovel. He holds up the diamond. So what Ed Litton has said is that the tools aren't what matter. So therefore, you don't hold up all the tools. You hold up the diamond. In other words, the finished product or the, the very thing you went for. Now, I, here's one, something I just want to say. Listening to Pastor Litton explain how this guy cited everything it is possible to like oversight. I mean, if, if we're having a conversation and I'm telling you, I've, you know, some, a, a theological truth and I, and I make reference to a few of the places where I'm getting information, that's helping bolster what I explained to you. Now, this is conversational. I'm not talking about, you know, writings or sermons or anything, but you would be very distracted if I stopped every sentence and gave you every single citation. I, I, I think you understand that. So it is possible as as you're making your way through a sermon to oversight something. And, you know, if every single detail was cited from something else, you could be distracting. I I, I will give that possibility. So the the thing is, is that what Ed Litton has then said is what the what my uh, teaching professor said is you hold up the diamond, not the pick and the shovel. Therefore, I gave no attribution whatsoever. No attribution whatsoever to J.D. Greer when I lifted almost word for word major portions of his sermon and dropped them into mine. Oh, by the way, my eight-man sermon prep team is the one that found this. And so they lifted it, put it in there, and I preached it. Do you see the problem? I mean, does that does that ring as a bit of a problem, Rich? Even if we could argue that the professor's argument was you're oversighting not don't hit every single tool you're oversighting stick to the main issue being as generous as we can does that make any sense to why ed did what he did no it just leaves me with more questions and concerns because either he knew it was plagiarism and didn't care or he didn't know what he was doing was plagiarizing which in itself is another problem for a pastor of 20 plus years who is the current SBC president. Yeah. There's also the issue of the justification for what he's done. Um, in, in one article, he apologizes and says that he should have attributed those sermons to J.D. Greer. And now in this, it sounds like he's trying to make excuses for why he did not 
give attribution. The problem is, if he had just said, this sermon series is based off something I heard J.D. Greer preach, mm-hmm. that would have been the end of the conversation. Exactly. Simple. But it gets a little bit more concerning because the way I understand it, of all the sermons that were pulled, was Ed Litton's entire sermon series on Romans, which by coincidence had the same number of sermons as J.D. Greer, and all of those are gone. And in their statement, they did say, like you were talking about, but one of one of the things in that statement said they didn't want everyone criticizing okay. what Ed Litton had preached and finding excuses to go after him, which, you know, you can draw your own conclusion. Mine is that that meant that there was something in there to be concerned about, and there have been two or three circulating online. Some individual has taken quite a few of those sermons and I guess downloaded them prior to them getting pulled and has done a, a side-by-side comparison mm-hmm. playing portions of what J.D. Greer said and then what Ed Litton said from many different sermons and the words overlapping. Honestly, what I think happened is Mr. Litton's sermon team put all this together, handed it to him, said, here, this is what you're preaching this week. He picks it up, does his eight to 10 hour sermon prep and memorizing and going through it and then presents it and never had a clue where it came from. That's my personal opinion. And, and you can take that for whatever it's worth. That's just the way I interpret the evidence that's laid out before us. Another thing that I find problematic within all of this are pastors within the SBC who are what I call part of the old guard, meaning that they have been pastors for multiple decades that are lean more towards free will that have been just blindly supporting Ed Litton, have not questioned any of this, and have said that all these accusations against J.D. Greer and Ed Litton are bogus Mm -hmm. and meaningless and there's no merit to them, even though by their own definition from things that they have wrote and published years ago, this would qualify as plagiarism. Yeah. So, I mean, the, 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 the front question is, okay, did Ed Litton plagiarize? Yes, there's no denying that. He took another man's sermons, presented it as his own, and did not give credit to J.D. Greer. He did not let his congregation know that these sermons were based off of someone else's sermons. Okay, end of discussion. That is plagiarism. The next problem, as it was stated, you know, well, if his congregation doesn't have a problem with it, we shouldn't have a problem with it, and it's none of our business. Well, real quick, Ed Litton is the president of the SBC. Mm-hmm. He's not a unknown pastor at a local church someplace where this has gone under the radar and no one's noticed or seen. We're talking the president of the SBC conducting himself in a manner that would get a seminary student expelled or flunked for doing exactly what Ed Litton has done. Mm -hmm. That is not the example that a president, much less a pastor, should be making for those around him, period. Exactly. And I think that's the thing that we want people to understand about this. We said this last episode, we bear no animus toward Ed Litton. From what I understand, he's a very likable guy, very nice guy. I think there may be a part that in which he, he, when he puts these things together or works with his team to come up with these things, he really believes he's doing the best thing for his church. I, I'm just going to give that to him as potential. 
and, and just give him the grace and say that that's that's what he's doing. You have a man who is now on public display for all the the churches in America to see, and now even making news in secular media as being on record for having used someone else's sermon and not given attribution. Whether there was permission granted or not, he did not give attribution. Again, the dictionary definition is the practice of taking someone else's work or ideas and passing them off as one's own. This is what he did. So you have... Let me ask you a question. Sure. And I was accused of this this week. I, I know some pastors in the SBC that I would consider part of that old guard who are not acquaintances, who are good, close friends with Ed Litton. And I keep getting told numerous times I'm being divisive. Mm -hmm. This doesn't matter. We're making more out of it than what it needs to be. This is not an issue. We should just forget about it and move on. What do you say to that? Well, I I will refer people back to something that uh, Pastor D.A. Carson, president, uh, I don't know if he is anymore, uh, at least back in 2010, he was the uh, president of the Gospel Coalition, he had written an article with regard to the specific question about plagiarism in a sermon. And I'll quote you from the very first part of the article. Taking, taking over another sermon and preaching it as if it, uh, as if it were yours is always and unequivocally wrong. And if you do it, you should resign or be fired immediately. The wickedness is along three axes. One, you are stealing. Two, you are deceiving the people to whom you are preaching. Three, perhaps worse, you are not devoting yourself to the study of the Bible to the end that God's truth captures you, molds you, and makes you a man of God and equips you to speak for Him. So, D.A. Carson had a pretty pretty stern understanding of the concept of plagiarism. And for those who say, well, if you have permission, it's not stealing. If you take something that is not yours and you use it as though it were, and you present it to other people as if it is yours, I would still argue that's theft because you have you, just one second. And then I'll let you ask a question. And here's why, because you have taken what belongs to someone else and have not given them the recognition for the work that they've done. You have said this is yours. So I would still argue you're stealing. Go ahead, brother. You have mentioned this before, and I think we both have, about the amount of pragmatism that is in the American church today. Do you think the fact that so many people have no problem with what Ed Litton did Mm-hmm. There's so many people that seem to not care, much less understand what plagiarism actually is. Do you think that's more evidence of how much pragmatism has influenced the American church that as long as we get the butter, it doesn't matter where we get the milk. As long as it's put out there, as long as it's supplied, the, the how it's put together doesn't matter. Do you think this is further evidence of the amount of pragmatism that is rampant in the American church? No, absolutely. I think that's exactly what the problem is. Um, We're going to talk about the qualifications of the pastor and why they are supposed to be so qualified. 
But it was interesting that you asked that because back in 2006, uh, Al Mohler had a, uh, a radio program where he talked about this very issue, plagiarism in the pulpit. And one of the first questions asked from a caller was, what does it matter? If it's, if it's God's truth, what does it matter who said it? And there was actually a question on Twitter. And, and I believe the individual who asked it really asked it with the best of intentions. I don't think this was an individual who, like you were being told, well, it doesn't matter to us because we're not the, we're not the congregation, so we should butt out. It wasn't this guy on Moeller's radio who was being kind of honestly snarky. Um, this individual on Twitter asked, "How can we biblically defend the notion that sermons belong to a a sermon belongs to a particular pastor rather than being the property of the kingdom?" And I think all three of those reveal the fact that we don't understand the uh, the purpose of the pastor or elder or overseer, the purpose of why they do what they do. And that those individuals are held accountable for the very words that they are to speak to the congregation and the impact that it has on their churches. If we don't understand the point and the purpose of why God calls a man to stand up before a congregation and speak, then we don't, then we start going, well, this is, it's all God's truth. It all comes from the, the word of God. So really there's nothing, it's, there's nothing new under the sun anyway. So why does it matter? And the problem is, is that what is the point of the sermon? Why is a why is a pastor called to a particular congregation? Why is a group of people called to sit under that particular pastor? If we don't understand that, if we think the point of the sermon is just something that's supposed to be, it's supposed to sound good, it's supposed to be truthful, it's supposed to you know inspire me or comfort me or whatever, then we've missed the entire point, and then we begin to ask questions that actually are way outside. The whole purpose of the of of what the the sermon is about, and I think that's the issue: is that we have forgotten why pastors are called and why they are to preach the sermons that they are to preach, and we have sacrificed that at the idol of pragmatism for decades, decades and decades. And I think the fact that you have people within the SBC who are circling the wagons around Ed Litton and saying we're making a mountain out of a molehill when People like D.A. Carson 11 years ago said, you should be fired for doing so. I, we've had a dramatic shift here. And uh, I think that's because we are more concerned about keeping the person in the pulpit and keeping the, the congregation happy than we are about being above reproach and being honest and, and truthful before the Lord. Well, it was interesting, the Al Mohler episode, and I listened to it myself, that was like in 2006, 2007, and there were articles prior to that addressing plagiarism from the pulpit. So this is not a new problem. It's been around mm -hmm. for a long time. It just kind of surfaces and dies down. But like you pointed out earlier, there are websites, multiple websites you can go to and purchase sermons and use them in whatever way that you want. I mean, it's mm -hmm. pre-written, pre-prepared, pre-outlined, everything. Um, uh, I'll, I'll do I'll do you one better, folks. By the way, I'll put this in the show links. Justin Peters talks about this whole issue with J.D. Greer and, and Ed Litton, and I'll put it in the show notes. Great program, but he shares how the very man who chastised 
the the messengers at the SBC, James Merritt, the very man who chastised people for not being concerned about the gospel as much as they are critical race theory, he was at a pastor's conference and he says, hey, by the way, pastors, I've got a fully prepared uh, sermon for you on my website. I'm giving you permission to use it for Father's Day. It comes with an outline. It comes with the, uh, the, the slides and everything. You take that, you use it. Okay? That is exactly the problem. I mean, people who are more concerned about pragmatism and here you go, I've prepared it for you, you use it. You, you've got people who do exactly what you're saying, Rich. They prepare this stuff and say, here, pastors, you can, you can purchase our service, you can, you can do the Rick Warren thing, here's my website for pastors, come get my stuff and buy it and I'll sell it to you and you can use it as your own. That's that's a big problem ongoing quite a bit. But yeah, go ahead. I, I didn't mean to jump in like that. <laughs> well, I was just going to point out, and it was pointed out in that episode with Al Mohler um, back in 2006. You know, there are times, especially, and I'm not talking to these mega churches with full-time pastor, full-time staff and all this, because there are far more small local churches in the SBC than they are these big giant mega churches. So uh, at the moment, I'm, I'm referring to these small local churches, and more times than not, their pastors are bivocational, and, and a lot of them are, are younger men with families. So you've got a man with, that's married and has children that's working a full-time job five days a week that's delivering at least two, maybe three different sermons a week, but yet they have time to sit down and do the study, do the research, do the prayer, do the Bible reading, do the study, and are preaching three separate sermons in a week without resorting to these other worldly yeah. publications. Um, I, I will tell you, there are times when a pastor can have one of those weeks where everything just goes kablooey. Mm -hmm. you know, nothing goes right. They're smacked for time and everything else, and they may use another pastor's sermon. It's not the using another pastor's sermon that's necessarily the problem. It's using it and not letting the congregation know, okay, this is a sermon I found inspiring. This has been a really bad week. I just haven't had time. So I'm basing this week's sermon off of what I read here, here, here. That's not the issue. This was, you know, not an exception. It's the practice, it seems, by Ed Litton to do this on an ongoing basis. The other example is, you know, something that may occur once, maybe twice a year. Not something that has gone on for 46 consecutive sermons mm -hmm. as we're going through or as they're going through studying the book of Romans. It's two completely different things. Now, I'll, I'm going to kind of shift our discussion a little bit. Why is it important for a pastor to do his own Bible studies, to do his own research, to do his own outline, to do his own sermon prep, to do his own sermon, everything involved, prayer, preparation, having a, a, a knowledge of his congregation that's more like a family than anything else. And honestly, I, I, I don't like megachurches yeah. because I don't understand there's no way a pastor <laughs> of a church with 3,000 members can know each member like a pastor does in a small church because... I've, I've been to some mega churches, but I've always been members 
been a member of small local churches and and the setting is always the pastor is like part of your family Mm -hmm. because he knows what's going on in in the congregant's life he knows what to pray for he knows the problems they're having he knows the struggles they're having he knows what's going on and the issues that are arising in their life and and can be led by that and and work with the holy spirit and know which direction he should take a particular sermon to help and edify those in his church or even you know hold them accountable or to you know, discipline mm-hmm. or to, you know, point out error in, in lives that are going on and these type of things. So, you know, I, I think part of that problem with that whole pragmatic view is, is this whole setting of mega churches and, you know, a pastor being completely not distracted, but detracted from the congregation, not knowing what's going on. And I have a problem in itself with a pastor having a sermon team that's doing everything for him. If a pastor is continually so busy that he doesn't have time for his primary mm-hmm. role, which is teaching the congregation, then he needs to reevaluate Amen. what he's doing. And if, if he's more interested in these social issues and racial reconciliation, he needs to step down as head pastor and devote his time to that and let someone else step up that can preach and teach and lead the congregation and it not be his sideline so to speak that's the problem in these mega churches some of these pastors are conducting themselves and acting more like a ceo than they are an under shepherd of the lord's word amen amen and that's really what it boils down to go back to the church growth movement what were they told you 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 need to run your church like a ceo it was a ceo business model that was marketed and people like Rick Warren and others, Bill Hybels and all these other people are doing exactly that. That's what exactly what they marketed, and it's this is the product that we're getting. So, let, okay, to, to answer your question, let's talk about what is the qualifications of a pastor. Let's start there. All right, we'll start with 1 Timothy 3, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Paul writing to Timothy. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, excuse me, overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed, become puffed up with, uh, with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace and into the snare of the devil. So start with Timothy. Timothy's, I emphasized a, uh, a few of them, right? Um, you have to be above reproach. In other words, people have to be able to look at you, know you, look at you, know you, and go, yeah, this guy, he, you know, he's he's a honest and upright individual if you are known say by newsweek for using other people's sermons and not crediting them does that make you above reproach of course not okay not a lover of money okay why why do we see some of these guys willing to you know fudge on sermons and promote themselves in all these other ways well Fame and, and, and money and stuff sometimes play them. I'm not saying that's the case in this one particular pastor. Well, we're not saying that's the case with Linton, but that's one of the reasons. You're so busy with so many other things, you're trying to make a name for yourself. You're trying to become famous, trying to 
you know, market your books, trying to become a speaker in places. Um, you know, you have to be well thought of by outsiders. Again, you're in Newsweek. You're being spoken of as not using your own material and not being credited. Okay, these these are qualifications that you have to be concerned with. Going to uh, uh, Titus 1, five, uh, verses 5 through 9, Paul writing to Titus, This is why I left you in Crete, that so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I had directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and, and his children are believers, not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard, violent for greedy gain. Uh, again, not uh, excuse me, not, not be a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, be, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Where do you think you get the knowledge to do these things? You're a student of God's word, right? Why? He must hold firm the trustworthy word as taught and so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also be to rebuke those who contradict it. The reason that you are called to be this kind of an individual, why a man must be above reproach, must be self-controlled, must be able to be upright, holy, and disciplined, is that he is a student of the word. How could you possibly say that, Chris? Because he has to be able to be able to teach the word. He has to be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and to correct people who are out of order, who are rebelling against God. So, Rich, starting with just that, you have to be a student of the Word so that your life is in accord with what God demands of you, but then so that you can also teach and contradict and correct people who are in uh, rebellion to God, right? Oh, absolutely, brother. Um, <clears throat> there's a book I found in my, I guess, for lack of a better word, say in my library, which um, my library consists of books scattered in about three or four different rooms of my house, stacked <laughs> and piled on bookshelves and everything else. But um, it, it was copyrighted in 2011. And honestly, I don't know if I purchased this book or if someone gave me this book, but I've gone to it off and on for years learning and relearning and reminding and, and reiterating some principles to myself. And lately I've gone back to it since I've had the opportunity to be teaching the evangelism class. But the name of the book is how sermons work. And it was written by David Murray. And I'm not sure what David Murray is doing today. At the time this book was written, he was teaching at the Puritan reformed theological seminary alongside Joel Beek. So, um, if he's drifted away from the truth in recent years, you know, I, I have no knowledge. So someone that's more familiar with him than I am could clarify that to me. But um, in this book, and I happened to think of it earlier this week, and I've been reading back through a couple of portions of this, and it's a very small book, but it's really good because it lays out the the preparations for a sermon it also lays out the groundwork of a, of a pastor and the preparation and the heart that the pastor should have and the approach a pastor should have in preparing a sermon and it gets into technical specifications 
for lack of a better word, of actually delivering that sermon. But I noticed some things in here that are emphasized really strongly when it comes to the preparation portion. Um, I won't go through and read a lot of it, but there are a couple of things that really jump out. Um, one of the points in the preparation is that a pastor should be a man of strong self-discipline. As a preacher has no boss, no supervisor or manager, he is able to do as little or as much as he desires in whatever areas that interest him. Hence, why so many lazy and undisciplined men have been attracted to the ministry. But when a man is truly called of God to the ministry, he is divinely equipped with an ability to organize and discipline himself to do his duty, even when there is no one to check upon him. Okay, that that should that falls within what you just read. Also, it says a pastor should have a love of studying. Paul admonished the young preacher Timothy. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 1 Timothy 4.13 and 2 Timothy 2.15, as the core of the preacher's task is the study of God's word, God will usually bless the preacher with a love of study. And it goes on to say, as the preacher must not only understand the truth, but also be able to communicate it clearly, God will usually give the preacher a clear mind and a clear voice, resulting in a clear message from God to men. God does not send messengers who confuse and bamboozle his people with displays of their learning or their lack of it. Um, going on further in this book, and to me, this, this is where it really stands out, the difference between a pastor who sits down prepares his sermon, studies that sermon, researches that sermon, researches, researches the passage. This is the portion that is missing when a pastor is, quote-unquote, borrowing a sermon from someone else. And the topic is prayer. And David Murray writes, There is no secret behind powerful preaching apart from secret prayer. My question is, if, if you're a pastor and you're standing up in that pulpit this Sunday morning and you're presenting a sermon to the congregation and you are basically regurgitating a sermon someone else prepared, how much prayer did you use? How much prayer did you put into that sermon and preparing it and delivering it? How much prayer did you put in while it was being well, you can't say you wrote it. You can't say you studied it. You can't say you researched it. So how much prayer went into borrowing it? How much prayer went into, Lord, should I copy and, and steal this other man's work? Uh, do you really think the Lord's going to bless a sermon with that lack of preparation? I mean, the Lord can use and do whatever he wants. He used the donkey to restrain the prophet's madness, but that's an exception. That's not the norm. Um, a pastor that's not putting and pouring himself into prayer over that sermon during the writing of it, during the study of it, during the presentation of it, and after it has been presented, is that man truly honoring God with his lips as he stands before that congregation, supposedly teaching those men and women and children in that church? Because you can actually teach without preaching, but it is impossible to preach without teaching. Amen. Would you agree with that, Chris? Absolutely. Absolutely. 
I mean, think about why pastors must be prepared. What is their duty? Go back to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Paul writing to Timothy, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Pastors have an immense calling. He is called so that he might teach the people of God how to obey the commands of God according to the, according to the word of God. Rich, you're absolutely right about how much effort and prayer and time and energy needs to go into it because this right here, how a person ought to behave in the household of God. Why? Because it's the church of the living God, which is a pillar and buttress of the truth. It is, it is, it is meant to be uh, you know, basically supporting and demonstrating the word of God, the truth to the world. You have a massive calling. You are called to train these people up so that they are you know, a support of the truth. How on earth can you possibly equip people to do that if what you're doing is you're lying to them by saying, this is what I believe is I, I, I am supposed to preach to you. I am supposed to. Not J.D. Greer prepared it. Not a sermon team prepared it. Not I bought it off of pastors.com, which is Rick Warren's thing. You know, you're saying, I did this. How can you prepare people and, and strengthen them and tell them to obey God if you yourself are not being obedient to God? A pastor is to be trained up in the Word of God for his own benefit, which is reflected in how he meets the qualifications of an elder. You know, if you are training up in the Word of God, if you if you are doing like, you know, Timothy did, when Paul commended him and told him, continue to be uh, uh, obedient to the Word that you were trained up in from your youth. I'm paraphrasing, of course. He's you know, Timothy's life and practice was is reflected in what he was trained up in. And so the pastor to be trained up in the Word for his own benefit, which is then reflected that he meets these qualifications. Why? So he can turn around and train up his congregation to be likewise. When a pastor fails to study the Word for himself, he cannot possibly equip uh, himself to live out God's commands. So if you're not equipping yourself, if you're relying on other people's work, you haven't done the work yourself, how are you going to expect yourself to live according to God's commands if you don't understand them yourself? In order to equip the body to be obedient to Christ, you have to know it for yourself and be able to model it. The congregation should be able to look at you and go, this is a man who knows the word because he lives according to it. But you're not trained up in it. You've like you've stolen other people's work. And I don't care if you got somebody else's uh, permission. You didn't do the work yourself. You didn't just use that the, the, this uh, explanation to say, hey, this is why I think you know Pastor MacArthur does a great job explaining this. Here's what he says. And, and then building off of that yourself. No, you, you, you've taken somebody else's work and used it for yourself and called it your own. That's theft. So you haven't trained yourself up and you haven't prepared yourself. Go ahead, brother. One more thing in this section, it goes on, and I think this will drive the point home that I want to make. It goes on, and, and David Murray writes, The biggest mistake preachers can make 
is to think that they can learn to preach powerfully from books, from seminars, or from lectures on preaching. No, for preaching to be powerful, it must be preceded by, accompanied with, and followed by prayer. It is prayer that imparts reality to sermons. The reality of God, of sin, of judgment, of heaven and hell, and of eternity. Such reality transforms mere lectures, talks, and Bible studies into living and life-changing sermons. This cannot be learned from books manufactured or imitated. My question is, if you are guilty of borrowing, quote-unquote, borrowing someone else's sermons, I don't care whether the person is giving you permission or not. If you're doing that and you're presenting it to a congregation as your own work and your own words, why should God bless that sermon mm-hmm. when it's wrapped in lies? Period. I don't care who you are. I'd say the exact same thing, whether it was Mike Stone, Tom Buck, James White, or John MacArthur. I don't care who the person is. If a preacher is guilty of this, they should be called, they should be repentant or come to repentance over preaching lies, which when they're presenting a sermon that they did not do the work for, they are presenting lies. I don't care who the man is. They are guilty of sin. They should be held accountable, and they should be disciplined, period. Amen. Amen. I mean, let's let's think about it. If, if you're called for the purpose of appointing, or you're called and appointed for the purpose of equipping people into your care, what are you not called to be? Well, you're not really called. You're not called to that role so that you can be on committees, like we talked about last week with um, with uh, Ed Linton and and the questionable ecumenical group that he's a part of. You're not called to be an author. You're not called to speak on the lecture circuit. You're called to a local body of believers for the specific purpose of serving them. And Granted, Rich, you and I would agree, there are many uh, roles that the pastor is called to, count, being a counselor. He, there are church committee meetings that he has to be a part of. There are budgets and church maintenance that will occupy his time. That, that's understandable. But the most important role is to be preparing the sermon for that body of believers. You know, my, I, have, I have three elders at my church, a community Bible church. And they do such a fantastic job. They spend so much time preparing when they preach. And one of my pastors made a fantastic point. And that was that he was talking about listening to sermons online. And he said, that sermon wasn't written for you. And I thought about it for a second. I was like, wow, that's deep. I never thought about that. He actually made a fantastic point. For example, if you like to listen to R.C. Sproul sermons, or you like to listen to uh, Steve Lawson or John MacArthur, you will gain great knowledge from listening to them. But they didn't write that sermon for you. If they are preaching to their church, when John MacArthur preaches to his church, he's preaching to his body of believers. Why? Something one of my other pastors said. He, he gave an example. He says, they know their congregations. They know the issues those congregations are facing. So maybe it's issues of particular sins in that you know, that certain people in the congregation are facing, or maybe there's marriage issues, or maybe there's some other uh, issues that they're facing, 
And when they're sitting down to prepare that sermon, what are they doing? Those things are on their mind. So while there is one intended interpretation of a text, there are many applications. And a pastor, knowing his congregation, is applying that scripture to those issues for the people in his care. That sermon is for them. It is not for someone else. So assuming for a moment that J.D. Greer wrote his sermon, I have some questions about that. But assuming for a moment he wrote that sermon, and I really don't know how you can write write the sermon J.D. Greer wrote on Romans 1 and come to the conclusions that he did because it is so far removed from what Romans 1 is saying. But assuming he did that, when Ed Litton took that sermon, dropped it into his, he took a sermon that was not his own, that was not for his people, and spoke it as though it was. So was he giving any thought to the people under his care? No, this sounds great. I like the way this sounds. I'm going to drop it in and use it word for word. You're not caring for your people. You are placing... I guess one... Go ahead, brother. I apologize. I was just going to point out, if you're going to do that, at least steal one that's solid and <laughs> isn't filled with... God whispers about sexual oh, sin. Goodness, he yeah. speaks more about hypocrisy and greed of the religious elite. Um, <clears throat> what are we discussing? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. I, that's why I say I have to question where even J.D. Greer drew his, how he drew those conclusions, because you cannot read Romans 1 and come to the conclusions that he did. You have to go into that with some predetermined directions and that's a discussion for another time anyway so you are placing something else over the care of your your the sheep under your supervision the people under your charge if you are taking somebody else's material and again let we will talk about here in a second just the idea of using other sources by the way so it's not to say that you cannot use other sources we'll talk about this in a second but if you don't take the time, you just pick up, drop in, and move forward as if it's your own, you are not putting any time and energy. You are placing whatever else it is, whatever time you're spending doing something else, you're putting that over the care of the people under your charge. And that right there is why D.A. Carson will say, if you are stealing and using other people's sermons as your own, you should be fired. That is why. That is why it is that big an issue. That is why we need to care about what's going on in churches around the nation. That is why when the now SBC president gets exposed for being a plagiarist, we should care. Because if we think that, that we can protect him and say, well, it's not that big a deal, then what you have said is the requirements for a pastor in Scripture are not that big a deal. Amen. So, okay, so, Rich, let, let's talk about this. Because I, And by the way, I'm just going to say this for uh, the leftist on social media who loves to just come in and be contrary just so he can be. Um when you say, well, hey, 
here Peter wrote in this portion of Acts, or he, he, he said this particular thing in Acts, and there's no citation that it's from the Old Testament. You have zero clue how, how you cited the Old Testament in, in first century, first century uh, Judaism and Christian church, etc. Um, for example, when Christ said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He's actually referencing the psalm, and he's actually pointing people back to that because it was a messianic psalm. And so you actually would speak those things because the people under your care and under your teaching knew what you were referring to. So when Paul, for example, in Romans chapter three says, "Well, there's, you know, there uh, are, um, there's none righteous, no, not one, none who seek after God. The the venom of asp is on, is on their lips." He's citing from various psalms, and the people who would have read that would have known exactly what he was referring to. He was citing. It was a. It's not the citations of the first century church were not how we do citation today, but they were citing from that. So if you're going to pull that and say, well, gee, he didn't cite, you have zero clue how it actually works. And what you're doing is you're being obstinate purposely. Stop it. Okay. So let, I just had to say that because I saw that this last week and it's as close as I've ever come to wanting to reach through the internet and just put my hand out in front of somebody and say, walk into this as I wa waggle it. Okay. You're being well, obstinate. I, <laughs> I will say this. I've heard, I don't know how many sermons over the last 10 years, but take John MacArthur. I've heard sermons by him where he read a quote, say by, by Charles Spurgeon. He'll read the quote and he'll say, this was written by Charles Spurgeon in whatever time, or mm -hmm. this was taken from the Charles Spurgeon sermon. Um, back to the very beginning of this episode, when you were discussing what Lytton said about a professor, no, you don't want to deliver a sermon and every couple of paragraphs have to stop and do cite notations. For one thing, that would be very annoying to those <laughs> listening. Um, that's why in most what I call good sermons, there's only one, maybe two quotations from another source. The rest of it is from study that they've put together. Um, yes, we will come to the same conclusions as such and such person in a commentary, but that's because the Holy Spirit's working through us, teaching mm -hmm. us what that passage means. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't mean we can't use that commentary as a basis for our own understanding, but we don't take and reuse that commentary word for word. Right. We'll read it and... and reapply it in our own understanding, using our own personality, our own terminology to express the truth that's in that portion of scripture. And in a situation like this, if Ed Litton had just said, I'm basing this off of a sermon series that I heard presented by J.D. Greer, I think it's really good, I think it's really edifying, and just went into it, that would have been all that was needed. You don't have mm -hmm. to go through a sermon, every other line citing this, 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 or this, that's understood that, you know, there is a common knowledge, a common understanding with all of these things. And kind of back to what you were talking about, about the, I forgot how it was expressed, but the, um, you know, no one owns the word of God. No one owns the sermons, but you still are taking ownership for the words because you are presenting them as your own words based upon your own work and your own study and your own understanding. That still is a huge issue when it comes to this entire discussion. 
So, no, you don't have to go. Actually, I would encourage you not to use many quotes in a sermon. You need to base it on this is what the word of the Lord says. This is what it means. This is the application, depending on, you know, the usage, because there is only, like you said, one meaning, but many different applications. But, you know, that and like you said, someone gets caught up in all this. They're just trying to be contentious just to be contentious. They're not actually interesting in understanding and learning further about that particular subject they're either trying to make excuses or just try to get you riled up yeah but um continue i'm sorry continue on where you're at brother yeah no worries no worries i i think you made some fantastic points that that was absolutely needed um so i just want to point out that we rich you said something about you know the use of commentaries and and that they are are beneficial and we should use them and i think that's absolutely true Commentaries are a fantastic tool. Study tools, other sources, and this is what I was going to get, I was referring to earlier. Study tools and sources and commentaries, articles, books, sermons. They, when a pastor sits down to prepare and he's reading, let's use the Romans chapter one example. It using those tools to make sure that you're he- you, you you're reading it and you're understanding it and you're you're applying it correctly. That's fantastic because they those things can be guardrails that helps keep you on an orthodox path. There's no nothing- hey brother. Let me go ahead uh, on this subject right real real quick. I want to point this out, and this has been explained to me this way by many pastors over the years. Um, it's the application in this book that I was sharing, and it's the way it's been taught to me. I don't preach regularly. I'm not a pastor. I do enjoy teaching evangelism, and during the course of teaching evangelism, from time to time, there is, for the lack of a better word, a sermon involved with it. As it was explained to me when using commentaries, you read the verse of Scripture, you study it, you look at other Scripture as to what it says about this passage of Scripture the use of commentary should come in last to basically reaffirm your own understanding to make sure you're not somewhere way off in left field. Mm-hmm. The, the commentary portion of, of using commentaries in a sermon preparation, that should actually come towards the last part of what you do. Right. Because if you read that commentary and that those words are, are fresh on your mind, that may be influencing you other than prayer and the Holy Spirit's guidance. Yeah, I don't know if I've explained this clearly, no, no. but for that, the, but yeah. that should be that should come last in the preparation portion. Exactly, and that's actually one of the things I wanted to point out that when you are, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 you're you're right on you're right on target, and you're, it's great. The point of that is that these things should at best be secondary sources. They are not the primary means that you are studying with. Your primary tool is the scriptures themselves. You should be. Studying the scriptures, studying the context of that passage, studying the context of the chapter within that passage of scripture, studying the book, studying where this other uh, where this refer is referred to in other places, studying where the clear passages help understand clarify the unclear passages. That is how you study scripture, and these other tools can be secondary sources that reaffirm what you are, are you are you're studying or helping clarify 
It's just a way to guide and help you're not wandering into error. But your first and primary you know, work should be in the those uh, in that primary source, your scriptures. The scriptures, not your scriptures, because there are no there are no your scriptures. <laughs> Sorry, uh, the scriptures. And when when necessary, you need to give proper attribution and citation. So, like you said, Rich, when Pastor MacArthur is teaching a sermon and he wants to reference something that Charles Spurgeon said, you know, you know, you, and, and he's you know, in preparing preparing that passage of scripture, he's doing his study and he's going, I want to know what Spurgeon said on this. Oh, Spurgeon says this. You know, that kind of a, that that's already reaffirming what I see here. I'm going to make that part of my passage, and I'm going to because I really think he makes a great point here. And then he's going to say, as Spar Charles Spurgeon said in this area. He's giving proper attribution. He's not saying it's his own. Now, I forget which article it was. I think it might have been D.A. Carson, uh, the D.A. Carson article. There's always going to be, as you're studying and you're reading and you're growing in the knowledge of Scripture, there's going to be many, many influences as, as you listen to sermons, as you read books, as you uh, as you talk to other people, read articles. And you're, it's that's going to help form your thinking over the years. Those thoughts are your thoughts. They may have been informed by other by other sources, including your own study of Scripture, but you are free to have your own thoughts. And you shouldn't have to worry about, gee, I, I remember I've read this one somewhere, and boy, it really influenced how I thought about this, but I can't remember what that is. And, and I think, it, again, I think it was D.A. Carson who says, e e a, quick, a, a quick effort at trying to find it usually will reveal where you got it, but if you can't remember where you got it, it's okay. It, it's it's not that you're you're going out of your way to use someone else's materials. As you grow as in your knowledge as a Christian, you're going to have your own thoughts, uh, and and your own ability to articulate things, and that's okay. We're not saying that every single thing that you say must be cited, but when you are knowingly using somebody else's materials, you need to give attribution. What they should never be is your primary source material. They should never be used over and above Scripture as though they're more authoritative. And they should never be used without citation as if you came up with these on your own, even though you know you didn't. And that's the problem is that, Rich, you know, there are people who are kind of defending this who are acting as if, well, you know... Um, you know, you, 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 if you, 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 I guess you better cite everything kind of outlandish way of, of saying things. And act as if, well, he said this and well, so-and-so has said that. Well, you know, if we are rightly dividing the word of truth and we recognize, as Solomon said, that there's nothing new under the sun, it wouldn't be, it's not surprising when pastors and authors and scholars and commentators draw identical conclusions or if not identical, very similar conclusions about the interpretation of a passage. And it wouldn't be surprising to find that R.C. Sproul and John MacArthur and Stephen Lawson and others, when talking about Romans 1, said very similar things, even though they didn't refer to one another. Because if they're rightly dividing the word of truth, and they're, looking, they're seeking the, the one true interpretation of the scriptures, then they're going to say very similar things. So that's not plagiarism either. And I think there are people who are trying to take that outlandish kind of mentality in defending people like Ed Linton and J.D. Greer and others by saying, well, you know, uh, it's, it's all God's word. It's all for the kingdom, so it doesn't matter. You don't have to quote. If you're talking about drawing the same... It, it, 
I will never compare myself to MacArthur, but I'm just going to make this weird analogy. If I'm studying and I read the book of Romans and I come to a conclusion in, the, uh, in Romans chapter 1 about the depravity of man as God gives man over to a depraved mind, and then I go over to uh, my MacArthur study Bible or one of his commentaries and I open the book and here he says almost the exact same thing that I thought, well, I shouldn't be surprised in so much as I'm reading scripture, I'm seeking to rightly divide it, and I look at another source and I go, oh, he said the same thing. If I, if I didn't use his reference, but I taught it because that's what Romans 1 says, am I failing to give uh, uh, attribution? No, because I wasn't using his, his material. But if in, in preparing it, I said exactly what he said, it wasn't my own thoughts, and I imported it as if it was, now I'm plagiarizing. And that's where the problem is. That it's not, it's not plagiarism to have similar conclusions. It is plagiarism to take somebody else's work and use it as your own. And that's where Rich, I think, is the biggest problem. Is we have people who are, they're not, we said at the beginning of the program, it's the issue of pragmatism. I want to find a way to defend this particular pastor, and, and again, we're going to go back to Ed Litton because he's the lightning rod for this right now. I want to defend Ed Litton, so I'm going to find whatever way I can, I can to say this isn't that big a deal. But when the reality is he didn't do the work and he used somebody else's material and gave no attribution and claimed it was his own during the process up until he gets caught, he's plagiarizing. Right? Absolutely, brother. And Sadly, during the course since last week's episode and these discussions I've had with some of these pastors, there's another thing, another aspect of this that kind of has popped up a few times that's even more disturbing. And it goes back to the website selling sermons and, and all of that was, well, that's just the way it's done today. Mm-hmm. Meaning that, you know, it's no big deal that, you know, pastors borrow from each other all the time and it's no big deal and it's nothing to be concerned with. Yes, it is because you are saying that what God has gifted you when it comes to being a pastor is not sufficient. You're saying God's word is not sufficient. And even worse is how many times has a, a pastor delivered a sermon? whether it's a local pastor or one of these well-known pastors that have, you know, hundreds of videos and thousands of downloads, you realize that a lot of times these pastors will plagiarize God, meaning that someone will come up to them and, and, and just praise them on what a great sermon that was. Mm-hmm. And I found it very, you know, inspirational. I learned so much from it. And they say thank you and go on without giving attributes, not attributes, without giving contribution and 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 pointing back to the fact that, you know, I only was able to do this because God equipped me. God revealed these truths to me. Isn't that not necessarily plagiarism, but doesn't that kind of play in all of this as well, that even when it's a great sermon, that people are truly edified by and glory is not given back to God. Aren't we plagiarizing that glory by taking it upon ourselves and making, and we feel good because, you know, we did such a great job on this, you know, 
I spent all kinds of hours studying this, and, and the people were edified. But without giving glory back to God, is that not in itself a form of plagiarism by taking glory away from God when it comes to a sermon? I think that's the. I think it has a lot to do with you know just not giving. It, it's it's putting oneself in the place of God, which is dangerous. You don't you don't touch God's glory. I think a right. I I think one of the one of the most difficult paths to walk where whenever you're somebody who is a Christian, I mean, for you and I, example, and I hate to use this as an example, but people say, hey, really appreciated your podcast. If we're rightly doing our job, when we put these podcasts together, we're trying to represent God and his word to people. Now, that's not the path. We're not pastors. But we're still trying to do something similar. We're trying to be teaching. We're trying to be edifying. So there's this danger where you don't want to be the per. You don't want to be the the object of someone's adoration. You you want to be, you want to say this is all for the glory of God. At the same time, there there's this very thin line of accepting a compliment which is given in i think good with good intentions and and right mindset which is i appreciate your your dedication to the lord i appreciate your desire to uh, to share the word of truth you guys did a good job i think you can say thank you but you don't take it further than that because once you start kind of taking it upon yourself as though the even though you put work into this it is God's gifting in you. It is God's calling in you. It is God's equipping through you. And so if you say thank you, you better make sure that that thank you is pointing people back to Christ. Because the second you say thank you and kind of go, yeah, I did do a good job, you have taken uh, the glory meant for God for yourself. Is it plagiarism? I wouldn't necessarily call it plagiarism, but I would say it is definitely a theft of God's glory. And there, that's why I said it is a dangerous place to walk because I know me. I This is why, for those of you who have tried to say something nice to me and I am really quick to be dismissive, please understand, I mean nothing against you. I know my own prideful heart. So I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm a... <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I'm not the person to say uh, is is doing anything good. This is If it was good, it was all about God. Why? Because I know my pride. All right, I know how dangerous that is for me. And so I'm very, very quick to try to redirect and put it back to God because if we did anything right here in my, I know me, I know what a train wreck I am, I know how prideful I am. Um, if it came off uh, in, in a good way and it did something edifying and it glorified God, then this is God's, that's God's work because I'm a knucklehead. Okay. But there's just that fine line of accepting a compliment meant genuinely and not taking it that next extra step where you think you deserve that. Because if you think you deserve that, that you just stole God's glory. And that he does not he does not take well upon that. So that that's what I would okay. say about that. Bringing that back around to full circle. Is it possible that one reason some pastors will use material and use it word for word is it because possibly they are seeking glory from man instead of pointing glory to christ 
that they don't feel sufficient in the gifting the Lord has granted to them and when it comes to preparing a sermon and teaching the Word of God? Could it be that they have become so separated in sanctification and separated from the Word of the Lord that they feel pressure to deliver a great sermon week after week after week to the point that they succumb to their flesh and seek out other means to bring that glory, not necessarily to Christ, but to their own words? I think that's a very distinct possibility. I think any time that you seek to take something that is not yours and present it as if though it was there, it, it, it was yours, I think you are demonstrating a great deal of pride because you you want the recognition. You, you, you want your people to say thank you. You want them to appreciate and, and, and you want that to grow. And I think there's a great deal of pride there. Um, and whether it's because you feel inadequate to the task yourself, so you're just going to use others, you're still wanting that recognition. Or whether it's because, hey, I want all the, uh, the ability to do all these things and be seen as giving a great sermon. Again, that's pride. Um, when you don't recognize the great honor that has been bestowed upon you to preach the word of God for him to those whom he wants you to equip, and you are to be his mouthpiece, not his you know, uh, his little prize that gets to be shown off, but rather you're the mouthpiece that equips the uh, the people. If that's not enough for you, you you're touching on that glory, and you take something that's not yours. You're betraying the the post that you've been given, and you're dishonoring God. And, and I just and I know many people have pointed this out from from Jeremiah twenty three, um, verse thirty. You know. Uh, you know, the Lord is speaking through Jeremiah when he says, therefore, or, or excuse me, verse 29 and 30 is not what, um, yeah, 29 and 30 is not my word like fire declares the Lord and a hammer that breaks rocks in pieces. So the, <laughs> he's speaking of his word being proclaimed, right? But then he says in verse 30, therefore, behold, I am against the prophets declare the Lord who steal my words from one another. You know, it is God's word being preached. And he has equipped people and certain prophets in the Old Testament, pastors today, to preach his word. But he's against those prophets who would steal his words from one another as if it was theirs to preach. God has an intense hatred of that kind of theft. He hates the stealing of the words of another. If, if he gives a man a message to preach through the study of the word, through the Holy Spirit's leading, as you pour your energy and your time and your prayers into this study, and then someone comes along and says, well, I'm going to take that as mine. God hates that. He hates that. You know, He is against the prophets, declares the Lord, who steal my words from one another. You can't get more specific than that. God is against someone who takes someone else's words and uses them as his own. And I think sometimes, brother, pastors and teachers and even podcasters like ourselves, we, we kind of forget that passage in the New Testament about not many of you should, could, should become mm -hmm. pastors or teachers because you're going to be held to a higher 
standard, you're going to be held greater double condemnation. accountable. Yep. You yeah, have greater, greater condemnation. condemnation. I mean, think about it this and, way. Oh, go ahead, Rich. I was just going to say, and everything we teach or preach, we will be held accountable to mm-hmm. for God. And these pastors that are called, and a pastor should be called, is not a career. It is a calling that are standing before that congregation presenting the Word of God and teaching the Word of God, they need to remember it's not the congregation they need to be concerned with. It's the Lord Almighty that they're going to be held accountable to. And every time a man gets up to preach or teach, he needs to remember that his primary audience is he's preaching God's Word. God is the one Mm -hmm. that's going to ultimately hold him accountable for what comes out of his mouth. Exactly. And that's exactly it. I mean, think about it this way. Why is it that Jesus said that it would be better for a millstone to be hung hung around a person's neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea than if they were to lead a little one to sin? That's how much the, the idea that you are held accountable for the words that come out of your mouth and what you teach people to do in the name of God. That's how, that's how serious God takes this. Now, to kind of bring this back around to the questions that were, were asked about, well, this belongs to God, right? It's, it's, all, from his, uh, it's all from his word. It's, it's the property of the kingdom. So is this really a big deal? Is it really plagiarism? Can, can you plagiarize something that belongs, belongs to the kingdom? Well, you go back to verse 30 of Jeremiah 23. God is against those who steal his words from one another. When a true servant of God does the diligent work of study, and we're going to put aside the whole fiasco of the J.D. Greer sermon, uh, because I just don't think that's diligent study, but if you take the words of someone else, uh, when someone is a diligent student, a diligent servant of the Lord, and he studies the word, and he prays over it, and he labors over it, it is, his fr- it is the fruit of his labor. The words of that sermon are his work. God equipped him to understand it and to speak to that congregation. That was not your work. That was not your words, and it was not for your people. God equipped that pastor for that church, called him to preach on that passage, and gave him the calling, the ability, the time, that, and, and made him the man that he was to do the work for those people. So that is the fruit of his labor. It is his fruit of his labor for the Lord, to be sure. But it is the fruit of his labor. So God's word is objectively true in all places at all times. And there's only one true interpretation of a passage. We, we've talked about that. And there are many applications. We talked about that too. The work of the pastor is not only to understand that true interpretation, but to equip his people through his labor, through his study, through his prayers, to equip his people by making application of that interpretation in their context. And we talked about that before. If there are issues going on in that church that there are people that he can minister to through the preaching of that message, that's his work for his people in serving Christ. You take that and you transplant it and you put it into your sermon and say, this is mine and I'm going to preach it. You have taken the work of another pastor for the Lord, for a group of people, and claimed it as your own. 
It is a defrauding of your uh, your congregation and you are taking the work of someone else that was meant for those individuals. And you're just, I'm going to drop this in and say, I I I wrote this for you. I'm I'm going to teach you this. You've defrauded those people. And while those individuals in your congregation may in fact learn something from that, because if it is a genuinely studied over sermon, and it rightly divides the world. Yes, they 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 can still be blessed. I, I like what you know uh, James White says. God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. No question, you know. But you defrauded the congregation of the work you were supposed to do for them. It is not the fruit of your labor, and yet you have put it out there as though it were. It is an absolute sin. So to go back to that question. Can we uh, biblically defend the notion that the sermon belongs to a particular pastor? Yes, we can. Because the pastor is called to that position. The pastor must be qualified for that position. The pastor must do the work of studying and preparing. Why? So that he may teach people how to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, pillar and buttress of the truth. 1 Timothy 3. That pastor was called, equipped, and qualified to do the work to equip that church to behave and to be obedient to God and to apply the word in their life, in their context. And so, yes, that is his work. That is that pastor's work. That sermon does belong to him because God put him in the position to prepare that sermon and called him to prepare that sermon. And anyone who comes along and says, I don't need to study. I don't have time. I'm going to take this and and I'm going to preach it as if it were my own. That is theft. That is dishonesty. And it is a fraud upon the people. And worst of all, you are not doing what you are called to as a pastor to prepare your own heart. Because the study of the word first affects you. It first informs, equips, and edifies and strengthens you so that you live in such a way as your congregation sees that is the man that God has appointed to be our, uh, our under-shepherd. And when he preaches, I can have confidence that he is living in accord with it. But when you do something even worse, you, you, you don't just take somebody else's work and take it as your own. Then you go and buy a sermon. Well, now you don't even know if that sermon was prepared in the way that it should have been prepared. Because it's a canned sermon. A canned sermon, like you know, Rick Warren prepares, doesn't even have application to a particular group. It's just a, here's an outline, generic, you know, or, and here's a, here's a sermon, use it for your own benefit. And that, that's not even one that was rightly prepared. It may hit gospel nuggets, but it's, you can't even have confidence that it was rightly prepared and worked on. It was, it was put together for sale. The idea that there can't be, per se, plagiarism in the pulpit because it's, it's all property of the kingdom is foolishness. It is utter foolishness. 
to be able to think, well, it's not really plagiarism because it's it all belongs to God anyway. And to those of you who are out there defending the Ed Littons of the world and say, well, I hope that if I've ever said anything uh, that's, that is beneficial, hey, you're free to take my stuff, because I saw that too. Um, you're furthering sinful behavior. You're furthering sinful behavior on the part of other pastors who feel that they don't have to do the work that God has given them to do and it's just like the kid in school who didn't do the homework. Hey, did you get last night's homework? Yeah, here's mine, but change it enough so it doesn't, you know, they don't uh, they don't catch on to us. Well, if you get caught, both both students are in trouble. Because one fully cheated, the other one facilitated it. You're just as guilty. If you willingly give permission for someone to use your material and do not one, expect them to give attribution, and two, provide them cover fire for doing so, you are just as guilty. You are complicit in their sin. Brother, I hate that we have to have this kind of conversation. It, it just, it makes my heart weep to think that there are people who are so convinced in this day and age that it's acceptable to defraud the word of God and the people and his people. But it, we have to. We have to stand up to this. We have to say it's wrong. And we have to call it out. Because the pragmatism has been the death knell of the evangelical church for decades upon decades upon decades. And it goes all the way back to the old days of the Old Testament when the prophets stole, the so-called prophets, stole from one another, claiming to speak for God. We have to stand against it because God stands against it. Any any last thoughts before we uh, we wrap this up for everybody? Well, just to be, I want everyone to understand this clearly. If you ever hear anything good come out of my mouth, it's because the Lord has granted me a gift to share it. I'm just a dumb old fisherman, so anything good comes from him. Anything bad, I own. And for the record, the little thing I say at the start of each show, better than I deserve, I got that from somebody else who got that from somebody else who got that from somebody else who probably got that from somebody else. And there's only one or two things I can think of that I've ever read and understood that I would claim to be original. We all parrot what we hear and learn in some way, form, or fashion. Um, sadly, plagiarism is not only a problem from the pulpit, I've noticed there's a huge amount of plagiarism that takes place in podcasts as well. Mm -hmm. So I would just encourage everyone to be careful repeating what you've heard and make sure you give credit where credit is due. Um, I know that may sound confusing based on everything we've said tonight, but there is a black and white in this and possibly a semi-gray area. But that's part of learning and growing in Christ, learning and growing as a Christian, and having some form of spiritual discernment. And it's no, everything is plagiarized or everything is wide open. I mean, there are times where you need to give credit where credit is due, and there's times where it's a generalized understanding. Mm -hmm. 
And as Christians, it's our job to study the Bible and apply it rightly and not apply things to our own circumstances the way we want it to go, because God shows no partiality in his word, in the treatment of his word, and in sinners versus those that are saved. God shows no partiality. We need to remember that, and we need to try to exercise that in our own lives, especially when it applies to situations like this, because I know beyond a shadow of a doubt if Mike Stone had been elected president mm-hmm. of the SBC and he had plagiarized J.D. Greer's sermon, even if J.D. Greer had gave him permission. Now, I don't think Mike Stone in a million <laughs> years would want to use one of J.D. Greer's sermon, but for the conversation, if this was Mike Stone having been elected in, in the furnace, so to speak, as Ed Litton is right now, I have no doubt there would have been thousands of signatures on the petition wanting Mike Stone removed because according to that old guard, which are free willers, so to speak, you know, Mike Stone's one of these mean, evil Calvinists that's trying to, (laughs) he's a right-wing extremist trying to take over the SBC. They would not be standing by. They would not be defending him. There would be an all-out finger-wagging, tar-and-feather attack wanting him removed, period. True fact, brother. True fact, and that, that and what that does is it speaks to the the hypocrisy of those who would uh, who would do so, because it you know sound biblical application is only applied on a one way street, and that's against your opponents. And honestly, that's just absolutely wrong. Because in fact, if Mike Stone had been revealed to have done that, and let's say he went to somebody good, let's say he went to a MacArthur. We should be having the same conversation. And by the way, if, if you would defend Mike Stone for doing what Ed Litton did, you're just as big a hypocrite. Okay? You're just as big a hypocrite. Amen. Um, Amen. If Mike Stone had been found guilty of this, then he should be held to the same standard. It's wrong. It is without question, straight up, as D.A. Carson said, it is always and unequivocally wrong. And I absolutely stand by that. And it, it doesn't matter who does it. And if you defend, if you if you write an article, mm, let's say on your blog back in August 9, 2017, and you talk about how plagiarism is wrong and how you know it's gotten people fired, and somebody points out your article and says, "How are you? How is the, does this apply to uh, Ed Linton?" And you go, "Oh, I've read that. It's it. Those charges are bogus." Um, that's hypocrisy. That's straight up hypocrisy. I'll put that particular blog link in the article. I won't. I'll let you guys go figure that one out. I'll put the link in the in, in our show notes. Um, plagiarism has no place in the pulpit, and the reason for that is you are called to be a servant of God. Over his sheep. And if you don't do the work, you don't belong there. And if you can't do the work, then, as you said, Rich, find something else. Serve God another way. It's that important, folks. It's that important. Because it is the most important tool and duty that the pastor has. 
is the preaching and preparation of that sermon. To take it from somebody else and say it's yours is a lie, and it is a fraud, and it is a sin before the Lord. And it needs to stop. Straight up needs to stop. So, I just hope that this particular podcast has been instructive. I, I hope it's answered that question because I know I do believe there are people who are asking the question in genuine is seeking to genuinely understand it. And I think there are people who are being absolute hypocrites and, and throwing it out there for nothing more than smokescreen. But we wanted to answer it because there needs to be an answer for it. Whether you're a hypocrite who ignores what we say or whether you're asking this question genuinely, the answer, the question needs to be answered. And hopefully, hopefully we've done that. Um, love to hear from you on that. If, you, if, if this has been instructive to you, uh, voiceofreasonradio, gmail.com, or you can reach out to Rich and I on Facebook and Twitter or the multitude of other <laughs> social media sites that keep popping up. Um if you have a challenge to it or if you have a question about it, again, reach out to us, voiceofreasonradio at gmail.com. If you're going to just be somebody who throws slings and arrows just because how dare you question this particular individual, how do you dare you make a mountain out of a molehill, well, you're welcome to throw an email at us. I can guarantee you I know where it will be filed. And uh, I can usually figure out what kind of, the, what kind of question that's going to be. The second... Uh, a person starts with the how dare yous and you're just doing this for divisive purposes. If that's what you're going to throw at us, don't expect a return message. Just saying. All right. So thank you for being with us this week. By the way, at the beginning of the show, did mention that, and I just stumbled across this as I'm pulling website stuff up uh, <laughs> so we can put show links up. Uh, doctrineandlife.co, the website that hosts uh, where you can buy our shirts. Apparently, uh, between the 2nd and the 5th, so July 2nd through the 5th, they're having a site-wide uh, sale. So the shirts are about 5 bucks off, um, and that is for our shirts, some of uh, the shirts that you would get for Dividing Line. And oh, by the way, if you are a fan of Pastor Gabe Hughes's uh, well, what videos or podcast they are selling their uh, his shirts there now as well. So if you want to su support when we understand the text, definitely pick up one of those shirts. Those shirts look great. I need to get one of those. Um, but you know, go check that out because for the next few days, there's a, a you know uh, some of the shirts and hats are but it looks like they're about five bucks off. So you know if you know if a shirt is twenty five bucks, it's twenty now. Uh, you know, for, so definitely go give that a look. Doctrineandlife.co. I will definitely throw that in the show note links. Um, you'll have to move on that quick because it's only for a few days. Uh, but I wanted to put that out there. Just happened to stumble across as we're wrapping things up, and I'm like, hey, I need to let people know about that. So, also, brother, they they posted that they are now shipping internationally. Mm. So that if, is correct. If you live outside of the United States and you enjoy and appreciate some of these shows you can now purchase shirts hats some of the other gear and they will ship them to you internationally yep so that's for those of you that listen in in places like canada and and and, and other uh locations around the world if and again we're not the only ones on there. If you like dividing line, if you like when we understand the text and you want to support any of these programs, doctrinalife.co, go check this out because 
I, I said this, I shared this on social media the other day. Darren Chandler, thank you for do, letting us know this. The, the, a great way to support the show, he was wearing his shirt, Voice of Reason Radio, and was talking to a couple of Christians like, well, what's that? And he explains it to them, boom, they subscribed. It was just a simple way to support the program and you know, and, and to show your support for a program that you enjoy listening to because apparently some of you do, which still a mystery to me but hey thank you uh so that that's just a simple way to do that so definitely doctrineinlife.co go check it out it, like i said from the second which is today through the fifth uh kind of the fourth of july sale if you want to i think is basically what they're doing uh go check that out good way to pick up uh a shirt or a hat for a podcast that you enjoy and get the word out about that program. So definitely give it a, sh uh, a check. Now, uh, I said this before, if you guys wish to support this program, we do have a Patreon. And as more... In fact, I, Rich, I forgot to tell you, somebody emailed us about a, uh, a video software. So I've got to look into that. The person who sent that, I'm sorry, I don't have it up in front of me. Thank you for sending me that email. I will look into that. Uh, because maybe that's something we can do for uh, Patreon supporters is uh, maybe we make an early release once we figure out how to do video. You know, that's an option. That's an option. So uh, hopefully we'll be able to do that. Uh, but you can always do that. The best thing you can always do to support us is pray for us because we are not trained theologians. We're just average Christians trying to help people put the Word of God as the authoritative sole source of spiritual authority in your life. That is what you, we are in a battle right now. And I'm actually starting to amass a small library of books on this issue. I'm hoping, God willing, maybe I can start writing some articles or put some kind of writing project together. We, you know, Vody Bauckham absolutely called it right when, when he named his book Fault Lines. And he was specifically talking about the issue of social justice and biblical truth. But I'm also seeing it's not just social justice. It's every religious uh, uh, ideology. It's secular humanism. It's atheism. It's whatever whatever other ideology you have. The authority is the worldview of man versus the biblical worldview. And I'm kind of starting to put a library together of that because what I'm watching happen, I know all of us see it, is that there is an assault upon the sufficiency and the authority of Scripture. It is being attacked and undermined daily. And I think it would be good for us as Christians to recognize we are, we are dealing with two worldviews, the worldview of man and the biblical worldview. And the biblical worldview is that which support, is uh, supported solely by the word of God. It is the authority that you must submit to. And so hopefully all we, every, everything that we do and everything we've done for five years has been to point you back to that sole source of authority for life and practice of, as a Christian, the Word of God. So if, 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 if you would pray for us that we would continue to do that, that would be the greatest support that you could ever give us. And if anything about this program is helpful to you, consider sharing it. Okay? We're not a church. We didn't write this for a particular body of people were a bit more generic and we have always said that your your primary training must always come through your local church at best we are a tertiary tool not even secondary we are tertiary 
We're a tertiary tool that hopefully can bring some level of edification. And so what we've always asked is if you think find something useful about this, consider sharing it with others because that will hopefully allow us to speak to other people and again, be that tertiary support that comes alongside and maybe gets people thinking about a particular issue like plagiarism in the pulpit. So thank you for being with us this week, guys. We really appreciate your support. We appreciate your time that you uh, that you give to us. We know that a lot of our podcasts lately have been longer. Um, hopefully that's beneficial to you. Hopefully it's not too much of a drain on your time. If it is, let us know. If we're going too long and it's making it hard, I know some of you listen to us on like double and triple speed. I, I really don't want to know what I sound like at that speed, so please don't tell me. Um, but if it is pushing things a little too much on time let us know voice of reason radio at gmail.com we'll we'll try to tighten things up we want to respect your time uh but thank you for being with us we look forward to talking with you next time whatever you do this week do it for the glory of god god bless you good night we'll see you next time